Welcome to Calvary Chapel Irmo's weekly verse-by-verse Bible teaching. Join us now as Pastor David leads us through Romans chapter 10, teaching us about the resurrected life of a believer. We're in Romans chapter 10 this morning. A little over halfway through with the book of Romans. It's been a great study. The book of Romans is the, has been called the Cathedral of Christian Truth and the Christian Faith. It's an amazing book. It transforms our life. Why? Because it teaches us about the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's one of my two favorite books. My, my two favorite books is the two books we just went through over the past year and a half is the Gospel of John and, and the book of Romans. So turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Let's, let's read the first four verses. Romans chapter 10 Verse 1, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not according with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes We're going to see three things in Romans chapter 10 this morning. One of them will help educate you on the present state of Israel, what scripture teaches about Israel. And the second thing is this. This is the heart of Christianity. Jesus is in the business of making people new. He is in the business of resurrecting lives and transforming people. We're going to see one of the most famous verses quoted when we witness to people. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Many of you have that Bible verse memorized, but I'm going to bring a whole new look at it this morning. We're going to look at it in its historical context and who it was written to. And I'm hoping this morning when you leave here, you're going to have a new perspective on Romans chapter 10, verse 9. But then thirdly, we're going to look at what do we do with this resurrected life? What do you do with this new life in Christ? And we're going to see in God's word this morning, we're meant to give it away. We're meant to share it. We're not meant to bottle it up on the inside, but we're meant to take it to the world. This message transforms. If you would have known me, 26 years ago, I got saved in 1992. If you would have known me in 1991, and the person I was in 1991, the person I am today, is two totally opposite people. That person in 1991, he passed away. They had a funeral. They blew the bugle, and he was laid to rest. And the new man in Christ was raised. And he can do that for all people. So, we're going to pray. We're going to get into Romans chapter 10. And we're going to look at an amazing passage. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word, Lord. Father, as we look now at Romans chapter 10, I pray that it's clear, it's concise, it's um, easy for our minds and hearts to understand. Why? Because your Holy Spirit helps us. So Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we go through it now, encourage us in the truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God 
for them is for their salvation. First off, Paul says here, he says, my heart's desire. Paul had a deep, consuming passion for what? For Israel. Turn back to Romans chapter 9 and look at the first three verses. He starts Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10 with the same thought. Look back at Romans chapter 9, look at verses 1 through 3. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul has a deep passion for Israel. They've rejected the Messiah, but his his heart cry is what? For their salvation. For their salvation. Now, it doesn't just apply to Paul and the Israelites, which it does for Israel, but it also applies to us and the world. This is the heart of the Great Commission. This is the the heart of the gospel, us bringing the gospel and Jesus rescuing the perishing, those who are separated from God, rescuing them and bringing new life, bringing salvation. But I want you to notice in verse 1, not only does he have a passion, but he has an action. Look at verse 10. Brethren, my heart's desire in what? In my prayer. He has a desire in his heart for their salvation, but he also adds to it, I got to pray for them. And you and I have to do the same thing. We have to have a burden for the lost. We have to have a desire to bring people to Christ. But in addition to that desire, we got to be people of prayer and, and praying for the lost Two applications from verse one for you, for you this morning. First off, where is your passion? Do you even have a passion for the lost? Do you have a burden to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Because that should be the, our heart cry. That should be our passion is to share Christ with people, to share Jesus with people, and let him do his work by the Spirit, and resurrect their life. Second question to verse 1 is, is are we praying? Are we praying? You look at it there, you can replace the word there with your friend's name. Brother, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is for my neighbor's salvation, for my friend's salvation, for my children's salvation, for my parents' salvation. This is a prayer that you can use and say, God, my heart's desire is to see them come to know you as their Lord and Savior, to see them rescued and given a new life. Verse 2, Paul is now going to explain Israel's present state. Let's look at it. Verse 2, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not accordance with knowledge. Now, let's give them credit part of it they got right they have a zeal they have a zeal even Jews today they have a zeal they have a passion they have a desire uh, they, they have a, a love for God but what is verse 2 said the problem with it it's not in accordance with knowledge they lacked they lack spiritual understanding they, they hold tightly to their traditions and because they don't have spiritual understanding and because they hold to their traditions what did they do they missed the Messiah. They failed to recognize that 
that Yeshua was there, the Messiah was there, and they failed to recognize it. You want to get on fire for the Lord? You want to get on fire for God? Based on what we're looking at right here, there's two ingredients. There's two ingredients according to verse 2. First, got to have knowledge. you got to have knowledge, meaning you got to understand what God has done for you at Calvary. You've got to understand what Christ has accomplished on your behalf. He has, by his death on the cross, by his shed blood, he has forgiven us. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. Now, people think of east and west as north, south, east, and west on the planet, but I think east and west, how far is the universe in every direction? It's endless. That's how far he's removed our sin from us. That, that is what he has done for you and me. And he's given us a new life. He, he's, he's forgiven us. He's given us a clean heart. He's rescued us from an eternity in the lake of fire, hell. Whew. Praise the Lord for that. When we lead this life, because we've received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we won't spend eternity in hell because our sins aren't forgiven, but we'll spend eternity in heaven because our sins have been forgiven by the cross. That is, is amazing. That is knowledge. That is understanding that. And understanding, even in this life, you have a new life in Christ, a new beginning. Everything that's in the past is in the past. You've been forgiven, and he's given you a new life and a new start. That's the kind of knowledge we have. And when we have that... We will have zeal. Now, the source of our zeal, two sources of our zeal. First, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts gives us a joy and gives us a passion for what has taken place inside of our lives. And secondly, our, our zeal comes from understanding the Word of God and just meditating on it and letting His truth sink into our life and sink into our heart. My, my question for you this morning is, do you have that fire? Do you have that passion? If not, he wants to give it to you. He wants you to have that passion, to have that fire down inside from having a resurrected life. And as we're going to see as we move forward in the text, he wants you to take that resurrected life and share it with the world and let God do it for them. Amen? Amen. So our zeal, uh, our zeal, our passion always flows from two things. Your zeal and your passion for the Lord always flows from two things. One, the Holy Spirit indwelling us and giving us that zeal, giving us that passion. And secondly, the truth of the Bible. Let's look at verse three. Verse three says, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Now, how did they seek to establish their own? They said, oh, we'll obey this law. We'll obey this law. You know what it's called? It's called legalism. It's called legalism. You know, you know what legalism is, really? People think it's real religious, but it's not. Legalism is, look at me. Look at me. Look how holy and high and mighty, look how holy and, and, and mighty I am. Legalism it drips with religious pride, which is a sin. You know, it has no part in our hearts. Legalism, it drips with pride, puts the focus. 
It takes the focus off of God and it says, look at me. Look at my holiness. When what does the scripture say? Our righteousness is what? Filthy rags is his righteousness. And it says there, they did not, verse three, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God because of their pride, because of their legalism. They did not subject or submit themselves to who? To Jesus. The way, the truth, the life. The principle here in verses two and three for our lives today, and that is this. If you want righteousness, this is for all churches, for all people, everywhere. If you want righteousness, you've got to submit to what the word of God says. Salvation is not on our terms. This is not Burger King. We don't get it made our way. We do it his way. Why? He makes the rules. He makes the rules and we follow him because he is God and we are not. Amen? Amen. So now, as we move into verse four, Paul is going to crush what they held dearly to in verses four and five. Let's look at it. Verse four, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, what is Paul saying here? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What he's saying is, he's saying, replace that word end with the word goal. Christ is the goal. Christ is the end. In other words, the law takes you to Christ. The law takes you to Jesus. It was meant to show Israel their need for a savior. You shall not lie, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, you shall remember the Sabbath, you shall honor your mother and father, all those commandments. It was meant to say, uh-oh, we have broken God's law, we're guilty, and it takes them to who? To Christ. It takes them to, to Jesus. That is the purpose of God's law. Galatians 3.24 says, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was never meant to save Israel. It was meant to lead them to who? Yeshua, Jesus. That was the purpose of the law. And it's the same for you and me today. It's the same for you and me today. The purpose of God's 10 commandments is to show us our need for a savior. We look at the 10 commandments. We look at number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus said, whoever looks with lustful thoughts commits adultery in their heart. We say, oh, guilty. You shall not lie. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. That shows us our guilt. It's meant to not necessarily condemn us, but to crush us, show us our guilt, and then point us to the Savior. It's meant to point us to Jesus Christ. The law is a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. It shows us our need for a savior. Verse five, for Moses writes that the man who practices, he's really gonna hit it hard here now. Paul is nailing it down when, he's, when I talked about well, like crushing their belief system. Verse five, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on the law, shall live by that righteousness. Basically what he's saying here is, you choose to live by the law, then fine. You will be judged by the law and you will perish by the law. Romans chapter three, verse 20 says it this way. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. 
Here it is, guys. I said this while ago. The law was meant to point us to Christ. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. It shows us our need for Jesus. It's not, you, you think you can live a life perfect and live by the Ten Commandments? Good luck on that one. Good luck on that one because it ain't happening. So here we have this morning in these first five verses the present state of Israel. We, we have the, the, the present state of Israel according to Romans chapter 10 here. And it's three points. Israel's present state is this. First, they have a zeal, but it's without knowledge. And that knowledge is Jesus, the Messiah. But we're going to see as we go into Romans chapter 11 that God has a plan and he's going to reorient their heart. He's going to give them a new heart and they're going to turn towards Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus. Number two, it says uh, they've established their own righteousness. Their own righteousness um, is they live by the law. They live by the law. It's, it's legalism. But it's meant, as we saw in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it's meant to point us to Jesus, but they choose to live by the law. And thirdly, obvious here is that they haven't submitted to Jesus Christ. But God's not done with them. He has a special plan for those people. Those people, the Jewish nation of Israel is special. We love them as a church. We pray for them. And God has a plan to, uh, he's going to turn his attention back to them. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to get to the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity. If you don't get this, throw everything out. Okay? I'm just going to say that up front. If you don't get this big picture right here, throw everything out. Because this is the apex. This is the pinnacle. This is the mountaintop of Christianity. If you don't get this, th this is Christianity 101. You, you've got to understand this. This is the heartbeat of God. And as I said a while ago, it's about resurrecting lives. Look at verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith, speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will it descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Basically what he's saying here is, you don't have to go to heaven and you don't have to go to the world of the dead to find Jesus. Because why? He's here. He's here because he's risen from the dead. He's here by his spirit to come into our lives. It's, it's, it's the word of faith. We, we receive him as our Lord and Savior. Verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you can, here it is, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay? This is very important, guys. This is God's purpose for every man, woman, and child in Irmo, South Carolina. In the state of South Carolina, in the United States, in the world, this is the plan and purpose to know Jesus Christ, to have a personal, to have a real, to have an authentic faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what you were made for. Question for you this morning, is your faith real? Is it authentic? Do you trust him? Do you love him? I'm not talking about um, easy believism or, or just say a quick prayer, check it at the door and go out and live your own life. I'm talking about are you deeply committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you trust him with all your life? Do you love him more than anything? 
Because that is the heart of God. That is the heart of a Christian, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love him more than anything. Context, audience, who is this written to? This is written to the Christians in Rome in 56 or possibly 57 AD. In 54 AD, there was a new sheriff in town. His name was Nero. How many of y'all heard of Nero? He was very vicious. He was very mean. There's a lot written about him. There was a fire in Rome that burned most of the city. He blamed the Christians and had thousands of them killed for it. I want to read to you a quote from Roman historian, from a Roman historian senator. His name is Tacitus. Here it is. He says, following Emperor Nero's command, let the Christians be exterminated. They, the Christians, were made the subjects of sports. They were covered with hides of wild beasts and worried to death by dogs or nailed to crosses or set fire to and when the day waned, they were burned to serve for the evening lights. The Caesars of the first century were considered gods. They were considered gods and they ruled the world. There was an allegiance that, that was due to them by all the people, and you don't dare defy that allegiance. There was one Lord in the land, and his name, his name was Caesar. And by you confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, it could cost you your life. It could cost you your life if you said, no, Caesar's not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And what we do know, and what is well documented in history, is not only the deaths, but the persecution of the Christians who defied Caesar and said, no, Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is Lord. That's who Paul wrote this book to in Romans chapter 10. He is talking to Christians who, who are living under a regime, this anti-God, and he's saying, no, you confess with your mouth. You don't just believe it, but you confess it with your mouth and you let the world know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, thankfully, praise the Lord, we live in South Carolina where there's not no persecution like that. You know, praise the Lord for that, that's great. But still, we don't back down from proclaiming to the world, proclaiming to the city of Irmo, proclaiming to the people of this state, proclaiming to the people in our community that there is one Lord and his name is Jesus. Jesus Christ is Lord, and we confess it with our mouth. Being a Christian, looking at this in context, in the audience, is, is saying this. I have allegiance to one person, one man, one God, and that is Jesus Christ. That's Christianity, folks. That's biblical faith, is my allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ above all above all family, friends, everything in life, government, everything. Jesus Christ is Lord. And then it says there in, in verse nine, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. There's no bending there. There's no bending there. This is the absolute cornerstone of Christianity is the Jesus's bodily resurrection from the dead. We hold to that. And we believe that. And we defend that. Because that is our hope. That is our anchor. That is where our faith rests. 
That's how we know that there's life beyond the grave. That's how we know for certain that, that death is not the end because Jesus rose from the grave. He ascended to the Father. He's went into heaven. And we don't bend on his resurrection from the dead. The faith we see in the New Testament, I want to give you five things here if, you, if you're taking notes. Five characteristics of faith in, in the New Testament that we see. Number one, it's a loyal faith. It's a loyal faith. It means that our allegiance is to one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, it's, it's a passionate faith. It consumes us. It consumes us because it's changed our lives. He set me free from drugs. He set me free from alcohol. He set me free from pornography. He set me free from addiction. And I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. I want to share that with the world. But, I, but, we're, but we got to be passionate about it. It's not just our religious belief. It's not just our creed in our head or on a piece of paper. Thirdly, okay, number one is a loyal faith. Number two is a passionate faith. Number three, it's a radical faith. It's radical, man. I'm on fire for Jesus. I love him with all my life. I love him with all my heart. And I want to give him everything. And I want to be one of those radical Bible-thumping, Bible-believing, Jesus-talking, Jesus-loving, born-again believers. We can get on fire for the Lord. It's okay. We can, be, we can become a little undignified at times. That's okay. That's okay. We need some fire. We need some people that are radically saved and, and just on fire for the Lord. Number four, it's a pure and holy faith. It's a pure and holy faith. New Testament faith in Jesus Christ says that he is holy and I am going to do my best to slay the dragons of sin. I'm going to do my best to run from sin. I'm going to repent and I want to live a holy, dedicated life. Sexual purity. Purity in my heart. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Doesn't mean we don't blow it and we sin along the way, but when we sin, we get back up, we dust the dust off and we keep on going. But there's a desire, this, this, thing, this thing of pure and holy, it's a, it's, it's a desire in your heart that says, I want to live holy. I want to live holy. I want, I want to live consecrated unto you, Lord. I want to live my life for you. So loyal faith, passionate faith, radical faith, a pure and holy faith. And finally, the faith we see in the New Testament, it says this, everything else is rubbish. Everything else is rubbish compared to my relationship with Jesus Christ. Basically what bi biblical faith is, is this, Jesus is number one. Jesus is number one. Now, if you're like me, things creep into our life over time. We don't realize it. You know, we're loving Jesus. He's number one in our lives. But over time, we kind of fade away and other things take his place. Just come back to him. Say, God, I'm sorry. I blew it. I've created this idol. I placed this thing before you. Lay it aside and get back on track and say, Lord Jesus, you are number one. That is New Testament biblical Christianity. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That is what we see in the New Testament. It's a wholehearted devotion to Jesus Christ. And that is where he wants each and every one of you he wants this resurrection life, this resurrection power, the Holy Spirit 
dwelling inside of you and living inside of you and going out and doing great things for him. That's his heart. That's his passion. That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want us to be religious and dignified, but he wants us to be on fire and passionate about the things of the Lord. Verse 10, for with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, I love this, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. I've been serving the Lord since 1992. I've had some heartbreak. I've had tragedy. I've had difficult times. My heart's been dashed, my heart's been broken. Things have happened that I didn't like. But let me tell you this though, I've never been disappointed with Jesus. He's never disappointed me. There's no disappointment in the Christian life. Is there heartbreak? Yes. Is there heartache? Yes. Do we need a brother or sister in Christ to, lay our, to, to cry and talk to and counsel and comfort us? Yes. But I've never been disappointed. I've, there's no disappointment. Jesus said, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. There's no disappointment in the Christian life. It's an amazing, awesome life. I remember back before I got saved, I was like, I was, I'd seen people that were in Christian, I was like, man, if I become one of those, I can't do this, 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 and this. And that was one of the things that kept me from becoming a Christian, that I couldn't live the way I wanted to. And I was like, man, that must be a boring life. I was like, no way, man. I don't want that Christian stuff. I don't want that church and Bible stuff. But then when God peeled back the scales and gave me a new life, I was like, whoa, this is awesome. I went from places I shouldn't be on Friday night in Virginia Beach to going to Friday night Bible studies. I remember my first Christian concert going to Carmen and just being electrified at this new life in Christ. And I remember the first time I was at a Carmen concert and I started lifting my hands and I felt them Holy Spirit goosebumps come down. And I was just like, wow. I was just enthralled with this newfound faith. I wasn't disappointed. Verse 12, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, Israel's been put on the shelf for the church age, God's going to turn his attention back to them. They are his chosen people. They are the people of the Abrahamic covenant. The, the land promise, the people promise, the kingdom promise. But even today, they go to God the same way we do, through the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, verse 12, there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for, there it is, all who call on him, all people, all people, Jews, Greeks, Gentiles, all people. We come to him the same way, by the blood of Christ, by, the, by Calvary. Now, question for you this morning, as we go into the second half of this passage, do you wanna be beautiful? Do you wanna be beautiful? You can be beautiful in God's eyes, according to what we're fixing to read. We talked about you receive that resurrection life, you receive this new life in Christ, and then what do you do with it? You take it to the world and you share that resurrection life and that's being beautiful. Look at verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? 
How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Verse 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how, here it is. Here's how to be beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. What do we do with this resurrected life that you have inside of you? What do you do with it? You give it away. You give it away. You share it with the world. You share it with people. There's people in this world that need Christ. There's people that you know in your life that are broken, that are hurt, that are fallen, that are separated from God. And it's our job, it's your job to bring and be beautiful and bring that good news to them. But first, first and foremost, remember this, it has to be in us. It has to be in us first. We cannot give what we do not have. We cannot get what we don't have. And there's, a, there's an outline here in Romans chapter 10. When you look at verse one and you look at this passage, first off, the middle of Romans chapter 10, first you've got to possess it. You've got to repent. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive him as your savior. He's got to dwell inside of you. You've got to possess it. Number two, you've got to have a passion. Remember verse one? Paul, what did Paul say? He says, my heart's desire. You've got to have passion. With that passion comes what? An action. That action is prayer. You've got to pray. You've got to be praying for those people. And then finally, go and be beautiful. Take it to them. Take it to them. Whether they accept it or reject it, take it to them. Sow the seeds. Minister to people that are hurting and who need Jesus. People that you know their lives need to be resurrected. Now, what do we take to them? You know, I'm not, I'm not qualified. I don't know what to say to them. What do I tell them? Right here. We share with them God's word. We share with them the truth of scripture. It says, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. We take that resurrection life that he has given us and we give it to those in the world and those who need it those who desire it, those who want it. Verse 18, so we'll close up this chapter here. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? For indeed they have, he's talking about creation here, something from Psalm chapter 19, their voice has gone out into all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Talking about creation, the witness of creation around this planet screams and declares to all people who God is. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's no voice or no language where their voice is not heard. Psalms chapter 19. The voice has gone out. Verse 19, but I say surely Israel did not know, did they? First Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation, by a nation without understanding will I anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me and I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. Let me tell you this, 
Christ came after you. You were on his mind before he was on your mind. That's the love of God. That's the mission of God in the world. That is the mission of God in the world. Verse 21, he closes it out here. He says, but as for Israel, he says, all the day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. This verse speaks of God's faithfulness to Israel. Despite their rejection of the Messiah, he still loves them. He still cares for them. His grace is still extended. Salvation is available to, as the scripture says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. It's available to him. But the thing this morning, I would study Romans chapter 10. It was just like the Holy Spirit was just ministering greatly to me. And he was wanting me to tell y'all this morning, to share with you guys this morning, that he wants to give you resurrection life. And after we have resurrection life, I'm not saying you don't, but he wants all people to have this resurrection life, then he wants you to take that resurrection life to the world. Amen? Two quotes I really like this song that we're, we're going to close with. It says, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. You're going to see that in the song. He is in the business of transforming and changing our lives from glory to glory, making us on fire and setting us apart. And then it says, uh, this song you're going to see, in your name I come alive to declare your victory. Through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we've been made alive. We have been made alive to declare your victory. That's our job. That's our mission in the world. That's what he wants to do in our lives. That he, that's what he wants to do in each and every one of our lives. In every man, every woman, every child. He wants to bring his resurrection power, his resurrection life in us. Whew. It's huge. I love that. <laughs> he, he, borrowed, he borrowed the grave. The, grave the, the tomb is empty. And that resurrection life is in us. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he says, you now, you take that and you take it to the world. Please not only be a hearer of God's word, but be a doer and receive that love, receive that grace and walk in that power. Amen? Walk in that resurrection power. Don't go around being religious. You know, we lift up the name of Jesus, exalt the name of Jesus, and, and walk in his power, walk in his truth, walk in his grace. Uh, God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. You've heard this message. If there's anyone here, if you have any doubt at all about your salvation, please come talk to me. Come talk to me. You know, we'll pray. I'll introduce you to the Savior. Half of the believers in here will introduce you to the Savior. To the Savior. But man, that's what he wants. He wants to give us resurrection life and to take that resurrection life to the world. God bless you guys. Have a blessed week. Thank you for listening with us. We hope this message has been a blessing to you today. We pray you too will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and be saved. If you would like to join us during our Sunday service, we meet at 10 a.m. at 110 Hunters Village Drive in Irmo. If you need to talk to a pastor or are in need of pastoral counseling, feel free to call us at 1-803-917-8792. crowned with glory.
borrowed for three days His body there would not remain Our God is 